Oh, my Lord. I just, I just love when a service creates itself. Not when anybody's planned to do, but when the Holy Spirit takes over a worship service. There's no wink or nod, there's just spontaneous actions. And everybody's on one accord, and I thank God for that in this service. And you ought to thank God too, because some people go a lifetime and they never get off the script. They're always on the script. Oh, but there is a blessing when you can get off the script. Let him get off the script in your life sometime and see what he'll do for you. Mm, stop going through the pattern and walk into that promise that he's giving you. Come on. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know y'all want me to preach, but I'm being preached to right now. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is ministering to me right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm not the only one in here who, who, for whom the message has already started. <laughs> we already down the road. If we were on one accord, I could open the doors to the church and we could go home. But somebody needs to hear me say a word because the word's already coming to me today. Yeah. Yeah. And when you hear a good word, all you can say is praise is what I... Oh, yeah, Lord. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was reminded this morning that Jesus is real. Everybody all over our community needs to know that Jesus is, he's real. Yeah, good morning to everybody. Tell them Jesus is real. When you see them tomorrow, salute them. Good morning and tell them Jesus is real. He's real. There is uh, no worship like unadulterated worship. Pure. Pure. Thank our musical leadership for their openness to the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Being in tune to the message, staying and listening. I attended a church where the musician would play a song and get off the instrument and go in the back of the church until the next thing on the service said, play another song. And then he would come out and play another song. I just got wise enough to realize he was missing all that other stuff in between. <laughs> Thank you for being in tune, listening, hearing, and feeling. But I, I got enough sense to know that you don't have to leave the room to tune out. <laughs> you can sit in place. 
and already be at Ruby's. <laughs> Waiting on them to bring your oxtail. You see, I didn't got off off a flitter. In 1988, 1988 was a pivotal year for me. Big, big things happened in 1988. I was about to realize my uh, lifelong quest to be an attorney. I was graduated from law school in 1988. I was two years married to the love of my life. We didn't know we were quite in love as we are now, two years after getting married. We were still working on it. <laughs> yeah. We had to burn off some of that other stuff. Thank God we did. Yeah. We had our second child that year. It was a big year for us. And so you can imagine with that frame on your year, that things happening that year kind of took on a special resonance for you. You remember things a little bit more. You know, you remember what was on TV that year, and you remember what the music scene was that year. And that was a song in 1988 that kind of took over everybody's imaginings. It was, in fact, number one that year on the contemporary R&B charts. And uh, it was also at the top of the Hot 100 charts. So you know it was a bad song. And I need to tell you now, that was a year of magnificent singing because Bobby Brown's Don't Be Cruel was all, all over the place. And he, was, he was running around and was a hit. And, and not only that, you too. Y'all don't remember U2. U2 was real big, real big with their Rattling Hum album. And so they were all over Europe and the United States touring. And, but this one song upended all of the stuff that they were doing. And uh, the artist who wrote the song uh, wasn't new on the scene. Um, but she had made a firestorm entrance into the music world, one that is still remembered today. She didn't write the song. It was actually written by a man. And it was written by a man for his wife. Um, and the original author of the song, so just, it was a white guy, original guy, wrote the song and knew it didn't have that oomph. And so he sent it to a friend of his who had been able to write some songs for Earth, Wind, and Fire to kind of fix it a little bit. And in fact, uh, he had written a song for Earth, Wind, and Fire called Can't Hide Love. And so he took the basis of the song, added a little something to it, and then they started shopping it, shopping it around. Um, the first artist they thought would be able to sing it was Howard Hewitt, who was also big at that time. And it's interesting, because we saw Karen White, so he hired Howard Hewitt. 
came along, but he didn't want the song for whatever reason or it didn't fit him. And so they presented it to another artist and she said that she would take the song if she could tweak it a little bit. She was in a special place in her life at that time. She was engaged to be married. And so she wanted to take the song and make it something personal for the guy she was engaged to. And you know the song. You know the song. I'm sure that's enough build up for you because this is what I want to talk about today. <laughs> Yeah, all y'all can't figure it out. You can't Google it either, I'm sorry. Not the way I came at it, but. But this woman went on to have dynamic, dynamic songs that we sing all the time when we're in love. But this song stole our imaginations and she entitled it, Giving Him the Best That I Got. (laughs) (laughs) Giving Him the best that I got. Came the first song and the title track to the album. The album went on to win everything, everything. But I came to tell you today, and that's what I want to talk about, giving them the best that I got. Seemed appropriate. I came to tell you that sometimes, sometimes, we can give somebody the best that we got and it don't work can tell you that, that even Anita singing that song in 1988 to her intended fiance, they got married. And then the marriage ended in 2005. So even giving him the best that I got comes with misgiving. But I want to talk to you about this in the context of your relationship with the Lord. Now some of y'all might get upset with me on this. If you do, just pray a little harder, work a little harder on it. Malachi gives us a background. Think about that in the same message, Malachi and Anita Baker. (laughs) It was never intended to be so. Malachi, first chapter, verse 6. Allow me to read it to you. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect do me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? It's a common theme in Malachi. Wherein have we robbed you? He's always asking these questions and then answering those questions. And, and of course, Malachi is the prophet. I'm stepping off the scripture. Malachi is the prophet who had to come straighten out Israel after they came back from being dispersed. You say, you replace, you place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, here we go again, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. My goodness. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. 
and I will accept no offerings from your hand. My name will be great among the nations. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, in every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled, and of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty, when you bring injured, crippled, and diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices. Should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. What is excellence? What is excellence? Is there an area in your life where you strive to be excellent? Where you strive to do the very best you can? Where you seek to have no one else surpass your gift of service in some capacity? Is there excellence that you give in anything? Is that a word you say often? And if it is, is it only in a secular standing or do you ascribe to be excellent in your worship of the Lord? Is that even something you think about? That the Lord, while he's giving me the best that he's got, also desires that I give him the best that I got. Bearing in mind now that my excellence doesn't look the same as your excellence because God knows my ability and he also knows what he's gifted me with. But in the context that God has blessed, it, blessed me, he expects that I would give him the best that I got. And yet I don't see excellence. I don't even hear folk talk excellence. What I do find, and I put a definition of excellence up for you. Excellence is simply outstanding, exceptional, better than others. Excellence. The scriptures tell us that excellence is something that honors God. Watch this. Colossians 3 and 23 says, whatever you do. Work at it with all your heart. Ecclesiastes 9 and 10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Don't confuse excellence with glittering. Don't confuse excellence with flash. Excellence can be achieved without anybody knowing about it. Because excellence emanates from your heart and is between you and the Lord. And if you apply yourself toward excellence, then the Lord will be pleased. There's a widow, come here, who had two mites. Yeah, there were others in church that day who came and dropped sackfuls of money in the offering tray. And yet the Lord only commended her service as excellence. Because she gave not of her abundance, come on now, 
she gave of her love of the Lord. Excellence. Instead, what I see is not excellence. I see mediocrity. Mediocre. Of middle quality. Not good enough for you. And yet, we offer that to him. Watch out now. Have you ever heard anybody say, it's just church? Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever heard anybody say, it don't take all that? <laughs> Have you ever heard anybody say in church, what difference does it make? Have you ever reached in your cupboard to get something to bring to a giveaway at the church? And when you reached in, instead of getting the can you like, you get the can you bought by accident and been intending to take back. And that's what you say, I'm going to give to the can good drive. Come on now. Excellence exemplifies itself in a whole lot of ways. And the prophet here is telling the church, I'm going to put it in that context, is telling the Israelites, what you've been doing is offensive to the Lord because you've been giving him something, but it's not your best. And he demands of you that you give him the best that you've got. You know, this kind of mediocrity, this thinking of mediocrity can be really dangerous, really dangerous. Especially in the spiritual sense. Look at this. Look what John wrote in Revelation. He was inspired by God to write this. I know your deeds. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. And so because you are, ooh, this is a dangerous word in church, lukewarm. Anybody like cocoa with lukewarm? coffee that's lukewarm. You can't get the flavor out of it when it's just, yeah, yeah. You, you, look, look, here we go. There's a scripture right there in a deed. You would rather it be steaming hot or ice cold. Today we didn't have ice cold and I remember when I was growing up but, but now they got ice cold coffee. You would prefer either steaming hot or ice cold to get the flavor, but who wants some lukewarm coffee? Mediocrity makes Jesus sick. Yeah, he says this at the end of that verse in 16, chapter 3 of Revelation. He said, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Mediocrity makes Jesus sick. So look, let's look. There's a few lessons that we learn from this passage that, that uh, Malachi is talking uh, to the children of Israel about the people of Israel. We always say the, the children of Israel, but they grown folk. <clears throat> I know we say it euphemistically, but they, they grown. They know what they're doing. They've already been rescued from, 
from, from, the, from Egypt. They've been taken to the promised land. They've been given love after love, and they've sinned after sin. And God had warned them and told them over and over again, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to allow your enemies to come upon you and take my hand off you. And they kept sinning, and guess what? God was true to his word because he's not a liar. He took his hand off them, and guess what? They were dispersed, and 70 years later, here they are. God has given them a reprieve, another chance, allowing them to come back and reconstitute as the children of Israel and can you believe after all they've been through here they are doing the same thing they did before that 70 year period they have come back they're so happy when they come back they say us gonna build a church for the Lord again and us going to do everything we were supposed to do for the Lord. And we're going to take care of him. And we're going to give him the tithes and the offering that he asked us to do. And we're going to be devoted to him. And then they got up one morning and say, but first, I need to build my own house. First, I need to take care of my own business. I would give this to the Lord, but I need it for myself. And I know he blessed me with this. Yeah, I know he gave me a whole flock of something or another, but instead of giving him the best one, I'm going to take it for myself. And oh, by the way, here's one. The Lord can have this one. And, and, and the scripture said, Malachi said, you reached in there and got the blind one that you can't even sell at market. And that's what you bring to the Lord. And you went in there and got the crippled one that you can't even sell at market, and that's the one you bring, bring to me. Come on now. He said, I need you to be intentional. I need you to bring the first fruit. I need you to be, bring the best one. Survey what God has given you. Pick the best one out. And then bring that because you love the Lord. Didn't Abel and Cain have problems around? Well, Abel didn't have any problems, but Cain did. Yeah, because Cain chose with his eyes and blessed the Lord, and, and Abel chose with his heart. Yeah, Abel chose the best, and Cain chose the rest and gave it to the Lord. And then he got mad when God wasn't pleased with what he gave him. Have you ever given somebody something you didn't want and then got mad at them because they didn't want what you gave them? Huh? You, you, you reached in there and got some and said, I, I'll give them this. And then when you gave it to them, they looked at it like that. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm giving it to you. Everybody knows when something is good and when it's not. So look at these lessons from this passage of Scripture. The first lesson is this. Write this down. There's no good reason to offer God less than our best. The first lesson, it just jumps out. No good reason to offer God less than our best. All right? No good reason. But, but, but I'm sure you know, even though there's no good reason, <laughs> they came up with good excuses. Or so they thought. All right? There are some common excuses. I'm going to go ahead and relieve you of them. Let you know that everybody's saying the same thing. In our quest to give him the best that I got, the reason we fall short there is because sometimes we say, 
we just use the excuse of expedience. You know, I just picked up something quick. You know, get some, some cheap and easy. That's what we say. I'm just got something. It's expedient, you know. I was on the way and the Dollar Tree was there. And so I stopped in there. And even though I wouldn't have gone in there and got it for myself. This is what I'm going to come and give to somebody else. It's just a, a lot cheap and a lot easier to give God the defective animal rather than a perfect one. And, and things haven't changed but because cause it's okay. We think it's okay in our Christian service to just get by. All right? Look, look. God doesn't want your leftovers. He doesn't. You know why? Because he doesn't give us leftovers. He doesn't. And, and, and you think about that. The first thing you think about is a Tupperware bowl in your refrigerator with some beans in it that you get. But that's not all. That's not the only context of leftover. We try to give him our leftover time. Oh, in other words, we take all our prime time and we give it to some other activity. And then when we got a little bit left then we're going to give that leftover time to the Lord. Not only do we give him our leftover time, we give him our leftover money. Yeah. Even though we've been directed, even be, we, though we've been commanded to bring it to him on the first day. Yeah, he wants the first fruits. And, and if we look at it from a spiritual context, it's his anyway. All right? What he's done with you when he blesses you is he gives you the stack and all he asks you to do is take what you need out and leave the rest for him. But he gets his first. That's why, see, knowing human nature, he said, bring it to me on the first day. Yeah. You know why? Because we haven't always gotten paid at the end of the week, or we haven't always gotten paid once a month. We haven't always got paid in that context. Most of those folk were day laborers. All right? They got paid at the end of the day. And what he's saying is, go ahead, when you, get, when you get your recompense, take care of me today. Because as the week goes on, your obligations increase and your opportunities increase and you will find yourself finding things, he knows us, that will take our attention and take our resources. But instead, we give him our leftover. But, but this, to me, is the worst. Not just our leftover money, not just our leftover time. We also give him our leftover energy. I can't imagine what would happen if we gave him the first fruits of our energy. Our, our first ability to do something. And we find ourselves often with something that God has gifted us with. And in this day and time, all we can think of doing is making it great in a secular sense, not in a spiritual sense. I'll give you an example. When the Lord blessed somebody to be able to sing, they can sing. Ooh, Lord, they can sing. But do they first say, I'm going to make the church the most outstanding choir. Oh, they looking for somebody to record them so they can get a hit song. Now I get it, it's the context we live in. But what I'm telling you is, there's a whole lot of energy that goes with that. Not just singing, speaking, 
not just speaking, football, basketball, whatever the giftedness is, we're trying to monetize it to our glory and not to his benefit. Works all the way. If you're good with numbers, church needs folk good with numbers too. But we're talking about a STEM education okay. that you can go out and be whatever. What I'm telling you is we take all this energy and I wonder how forceful the church would be if we could take this energy first and put it in the church context as opposed to put it in the world context. I think if we laid that as a foundation, then our schools would be better. I think our community would be better. I think our homes would be better if we put energy into the first things. Then everything would come out all right, I think. You also have problems bringing the first fruit or bringing in the best that I got because some folks just got a bad attitude. They do. They just have a bad attitude. Have you ever met somebody that you can't remember ever smiling? About anything. Just, just, and then you're scared to tell them, I ain't never seen you smile, because then you know they're going to be upset, because you say something because they ain't never smiled before. We just don't care enough to please the Lord. And sometimes, sometimes we don't even know this about ourselves. But we have not put ourselves in a place that somebody can come and edit our lives and tell us this. We've not opened the door enough so they can come and say, you need some help in this arena. Even though we got friends, or we say we got friends, those friends can never help us with that. And so you just don't know, you're the sourpuss. You're the person who's always negative about things. And somebody, you need to pray mightily that if that's the case, if you're in that place in life, that somebody is close enough and loves you enough to come and be able to tell you about yourself so you can try to make some amends, some amends about that. And then, of course, the last thing in why we, we don't have a good reason is the popular argument. Well, everybody else do the same thing. That's what we say. So why should I do any different? Everybody else does. It's like, you know, why am I going to be the exception? Can I tell you there are a whole lot of things in life you would want to be the exception to. You wouldn't want to go along with everybody else and be a part of. You want to be outside the group. And yet everybody thinks that, and it's not true always that everybody else is doing it. Usually what I found is in your group of people everybody else is doing it, not in the greater context. For example, when it comes to sinning, as young, it's sinful activity that young folks say, they say, well, everybody going to this party, not that going to a party is a sin, um, but the truth of the matter is everybody's not going to a party. No, everybody you know. <laughs> Everybody in your friend group might be going to the party, but everybody is not going to the party because uh, back in 1981, I probably wasn't going to the party because mama wasn't going to let me go to the Everybody wasn't going to the party. It's just your friend group. What's the second lesson? The second lesson is this. Your service to him reveals your attitude toward him. 
Your service to God reveals your attitude toward God. All right, when you give him less than your best, then it reveals the priority he has in your life. No matter what you say, no, no, no matter what you say, it reveals the priority that he has in your life. Giving him less than the best indicates just how much you really want to grow with him. It shows that uh, we're more interested in other things than we are him. Your service to him. A young man who had a girl that he liked, and, and she liked him too. And so one day he got the courage to call her, or get her number from her and said he's going to call her. And so he did. He called her the first time. And they had a great conversation. Great. And they said, well, it's good. We can be, I believe we'll be good friends. And then a few days went by and he didn't call back. And then a week went by and he didn't call back. Before you know it, Karen, it was a month. He didn't call back. And so she ran into him at school and she said, hey, I thought we had a great conversation on the phone. I've been waiting on you to call me back. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to call you back. But first I had to call Mary and Jonisha and, oh, so other folk, oh, I, he liked her. He just didn't like her like that, which was evidenced in the fact that he didn't call her back. Some of us treat the Lord. The same way, we have a good time on Sunday. You don't want to hear me say this. And then we don't call him back on Monday. <laughs> and we certainly don't holler at him on Tuesday. Yeah. And then he sees us again on Sunday. And he said, where you been the rest of the week? <laughs> Y'all get it. Yeah. Our best also demands that we stop just talking. So that's the lesson. The third lesson we've learned is this. Oh, let me throw this in there. Malachi was hard on them when he gave this message. He said, give the sacrifices to the governmental officials that you're trying to give to God and see if they'll accept it. In other words, them little kings you got... <laughs> <laughs> the leaders down there, try to give them what you're giving to God and see if they think it's acceptable. And I can tell you, I can tell you that they won't find it acceptable and neither does the Lord. The third lesson you're going to find is there's a difference in lip service and true service. There's a difference in lip service and true service. Talk is cheap. You can write that down. Talk is cheap. And I got to tell you this, and you're going to be upset with me when I tell you. It was meant to cost something when God told them to give the best of their flock and fields. I don't know what makes us think that our service to the Lord comes at no expense to us. It's meant to cost something. How do I know this? Because it cost him something. The examples already, it was meant to call something. God doesn't just give us the best for us. He expects us to bless the rest with what he gives us, not just for our benefit, 
It's for everybody's benefit. God doesn't have to give everybody in the church a car as long as he gave you one. Some people cannot handle all the requirements and benefits that come with having a car. But if you can pick them up and get them there and make sure they have what they need, that's what God expects. And that's what he's saying. I'm blessing you so you can be a blessing to someone else. But you can't just keep giving lip service to it. What kind of God would he be if all he did was pay lip service to us? How long would you follow him if he never took care of you in the tough times of your life? And yet that's not the case. Every time you need him, he comes through. It may not come at the time you expect him. may not often come when you want him to. But he's always going to be there just in time. Proverbs 3 and 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your, all your crops. I think we forget sometimes in the abundance of our doing well that God has blessed us far more than we deserve. Than, than we deserve. All right? Far more. If you start, you can, we can't even calculate the blessings that God has given us. You can't even start writing anything down. God has never cut corners in our lives. See, he's never taken a shortcut or found an easier route to your blessing. None of that. There's no cut rate blessings from God. He didn't give us no discounted devotion. He's been good to us and fully. His mercies, the scripture tells us, are new each day. He didn't give you no Thursday blessings on Friday. He gave you brand new Friday blessings. Every day, the cost of serving God with excellence, it's going to take something from you. It's going to take some reputation. It's going to take some of the resources he's given you. It's going to take some of your time. It's going to take some of your talent. It's going to take some of your treasure to serve him with excellence. It means you have to give of yourself. But that's okay because you can't beat God giving. You can't beat him giving. Go ahead. I challenge you to get into that contest with the Lord and see which one of y'all can give more. I challenge you to get there. Try it. Prove me now herewith. That's what Malachi said. Prove me now herewith. You try to be God-given and see, and see what happens. And I don't think you understand that as you're blessing and trying to bless others, he's continuously blessing you. You can't even get into the contest without God blessing you. Just okay is not okay. Somebody's making a real big to-do of that campaign on TV right now. They spend a lot of money on those commercials. You don't want a just okay surgeon doing surgery on you. He comes in the room to prep you. He says, all right, we're about to go in here and and knock it out and you thinking in the best in the back of your mind are you the best at this and he looks at you and he says I'm all right 
I'm all right. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> and you say, oh, Lord, help me. Get me up out of this. Get these cards off me. And yet, that's the kind of giving we want. You want the best teacher in your classroom. Just okay is not okay. But look, what does it take for you to become the best? What does it take? What does it take? Y'all don't, y'all don't, y'all, y'all, y'all don't, I don't know that we put into context sometimes what it takes to be excellent. Look, look, look at the give and the take. And I don't know that he's a praying person. But what did it take for Kobe to become one of the best point guards in NBA history? I can tell you it wasn't a pretty ride. And, and his quest to be the best, he alienated a lot of people. All right? It was hard to play with Kobe. Why? Because he was exacting on people. You got to play it like this. If you don't play it like this, then you won't play with me. He'll get you up out of there. If we're going to win championships, then you got to play at this level all the time. Excellence takes something. And you're not always the most friendly person, it seems, in your quest. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. Now imagine what a different player he would have been if he had had the Holy Spirit on board the whole time. In trying to be excellent, he would have also brought other folk up. Instead of him just being the champion, he would have made champions. So look at what happens when you, in the context of serving the Lord, in your, your drive for excellence, you're trying to be the best you can be, guess what? Somebody's watching you. Somebody's emulating you. They're doing the same thing you do, because what? If you're excellent and you do it like this and it's working for you, then they'll start doing the same thing just like you. Excellence is in the details of life. Stop ignoring the details. The details are what separates excellence from mediocrity. Pay attention to all of the little details. They make a difference. They make a difference. People say they want to play golf like Tiger Wood. No, you don't. No, you don't. Well, you, you might want to, but you, you don't want to hit that many balls. No, 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 no. You don't want to. You want to stand out there and hit that many balls. You, you, you don't want to have practice. Every day. Rain or shine. You don't want to do that. You don't want to give up that much of your life trying to be. Why do you think there are so few like him? Because nobody else is willing to give up that much of your life. You can say what you want to say about Tiger. He's a champion. He just struggles on his moral compass. Yeah, because when you, when you want to just be the best like that, there's some details you don't pay attention to. You know, like, like who you are. <laughs> How you treat folk. Shaq was supposed to be here this weekend. He was supposed to be here this weekend. He couldn't come because his sister passed away. One of his sisters passed away. People love Shaq. 
No, 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 seriously. And I know I use a lot of athletes, but do you know why? Because Shaq pays attention to the details. And the details in Shaq's life don't have to do with money. It has to do with people. You can go online and see situation after situation involving Shaquille O'Neal where he paid attention to the details in folks' lives. Over and over again, and all it leaves you with the, uh, the, 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 with the knowledge of is that Shaq cares about people. Even to his inconvenience, he cares about people. It matters to him. How do I know it? Because three years ago, we were about to have a birthday for Karen. She loves Shaq. I said, wouldn't it be great if I simply asked Shaq on his, and he's always on Instagram, he's always going back and forth with people, individuals, not stars, just folk will hit him up and then you'll see him hit back at him. I said, Shaq is really active on his Instagram. So I just direct messaged him and said, Shaq, my wife's about to turn 50. She would love it. Can you just send her, text her a happy birthday greeting? That's all I asked. Didn't think any more about it. I'm at the house one evening, running around doing what you do after work, and my phone buzzes. And I go get the phone, and I open it up, and you, it's crazy because it's a message from Shaq. <laughs> Why? Because people matter. People matter. Not only did he wish her a happy birthday, he sang happy birthday to her in a video. My greatest problem was in not nervously deleting it while I'm trying to listen to it and hiding it from her. People matter to him. That's why people love him. And so you go all over the country, the world. I think he's got like 20 million folk following him. <laughs> I mean, and he put, look, you 20 mil, think about 20 million people and you can pick one out to say happy birthday, sing happy birthday too. I don't know what was going on in his world that day. I don't know what he was experiencing. I don't know where he was. It looked like he had been working out or something. But all I know is for 10 seconds, he gave us a gift. Hear me, do you hear me? We often think it takes too much to do stuff for people. We often think it takes too much to do something for the Lord. But details matter. Details matter. And excellence takes that daily diligence. Our duty is to live as students for what God has blessed us with. The last thing I want to tell you this, and I'm out of here. God expects and deserves nothing less than your best, all right? Look, our best doesn't mean perfection. Our best doesn't mean superiority. Charles Swindle said it this way, excellence is a difficult concept to communicate because it can easily be misread as a neurotic perfectionism or snooty sophistication. But it is neither one of those things. In fact, it's the stuff of which greatness is made. It's the difference between just getting by and soaring. 
that which sets apart the significant from the superficial, the lasting from the temporary. That's what perfection or excellence, that's what excellence is. Striving for excellence simply means this, making every effort in preparation and execution to do the very best you can do. God is worth our best efforts every single time. Why? John wrote this in Revelation, you are worthy, Lord. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they are created and have their being. If you've been cheating on the Lord, I'm asking you today to stop. I'm asking you to stop. Stop offering God contemptuous sacrifices. Stop giving God last minute, half-hearted, leftover, and warmed up efforts. Stop doing it. Nobody knows it but you. Don't slap something together and pretend it's okay and expect God to smile. When you do it, stop giving God what you wouldn't give to your spouse, your boss, or anybody else. God doesn't want any white elephant gifts from you. He wants your best. Stop giving, and people have this all the time, they have excellent intentions, Pam, and mediocre performance. Excellent intentions and mediocre performance. And remember this now, when we're looking at other folk, we judge them by what they do. We judge ourselves by what we say we were going to do. Second Timothy 2 and 15 says, do your best to present God to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. David Livingstone was one of the greatest missionaries we recorded. He's the one who moved to Africa and started introducing the Christian faith to a lot of the native continental people there. And he moved to Africa and married his wife in 1845. You can imagine how primitive the situation was. You can imagine where technology was in 1845. And he never stopped pursuing excellence for the kingdom. And there was a time when Dr. Livingston was approached by the church leadership. They wanted to send him some help because his work had received such adulation from the church as a whole. He was doing great things for the Lord. And so they sent him a letter and they said, Dr. Livingstone, have you found a good road to where you are? Because we want to know where to send folk to so they can come down there and help you. And his reply is what I'm going to leave you with today. He wrote, if you have men who will only come if they know a good road, don't send them. I want men who will come if there's no road at all. Stop looking for what's already been done. The Lord has a new thing for you to do for him. Why should you give him your best? Because he looked around heaven and thought you were worth his best. He didn't give you an angel. And they were designed to praise him.
He looked around heaven and decided that the only way to bring us back into fellowship with him is to send you the best that he's got. He loved you enough to send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. He loved you enough to allow his only begotten son to come and live with us. He loved us enough to let his only begotten son not only live with us, but to die for us. He loved us that much. And if that's not the best, then I don't know what is. But he also loved that son enough that after he paid the ultimate price, finished the work that he sent him to do, that God sent him to do down here on, her, on earth, he loved that son enough to resurrect him. And that son that he allowed to come live, die, and be resurrected for us, now lives with him, making intercession for me and you. He knows our frailties. He knows when we're striving. Any parent in here knows how to cheer their child who's trying so hard. They just can't get it done. You've seen them, they want to tie their shoe, but they can't get that bow together for nothing in life. But you know enough to cheer them for the five minutes they sat down there trying. God knows us like that. When you're trying and just can't get there, he loves you anyway because he's going to bless your excellent effort in trying to heal or solve a situation. I wonder if there's somebody here today who claimed to know that Jesus Christ died for them. Or maybe there's somebody here today who's decided that today is the day I'm going to give my life to him so he can lead me as I move forward. Today is the day, now is the time. I'm extending this invitation to you. If you've never been baptized before, then we'll baptize you. If you've been baptized before but haven't found that church home that you've been looking for, then I strongly suggest that you give us a try. And we'll bring you in and we'll love you and we'll live with you through life and deal with those circumstances. We're not perfect but we're striving every day to be better than we were the day before. While the choir stands to sing this song, the doors of our church are wide open. Whosoever will, let them come right now.